0: It took me from 2007 to 2013 to say, you know what? I'm not an idiot. I can go out and write a business plan. I can go out and solicit investments. And it was like a light bulb just turning on. And I asked people for money and they said, well, how much do you need? How much money do you need? Not you're stupid. This will never work. Why are you asking me this? It was how much do you need? And how quick do you need it? If if I would have had that same mindset. Back in 2006, 2007, I would have an asset pool in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And maybe you'd be asking somebody else, who do you prefer, Brandon from Investment Joy or Cardone?
1: Brandon, in your experience, which one of your businesses, uh, we've got laundromats, car washes, trailer parks, storage facilities, real estate, which one makes the most physical paper cash?
0: Cash, cash. Uh, the, the the car washes. We've gone to online payments for almost everything, but the, the car washes at this point they're they do a good deal of cash sales. And what would be a good weekend of cash that you can get in your hands? M- me or
1: one of my buddies. Um, you, I, alt oh, me. A uh, good weekend in cash, five six thousand dollars. And and what's the most you've seen someone in these kind
0: of businesses have cash? Two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand in a weekend. Uh, that, that case I think was a week, so I don't know what it would have been for a weekend. Let me put it this way. I've seen car wash owners. Um, I was mortified. He, they opened up a pay station and it's in very rural America, not a large metropolitan area, middle of nowhere. They opened up their payment system and the, the machine holds 20,000 20,000 notes. So 20,000, ones, fives, tens, and twenties. It was an expensive car wash. So a lot of them were $10 and $20 bills, 20,000 capacity. It was three quarters of the way full. So there were 15,000 notes in the machine. And I was mortified because the machine was not very secure, very easy to rob. And I looked at him and I said, what on earth are you doing here? And he said, I haven't checked it in a while. You haven't checked your machine in a while. And this was one of three, one of four payment machines at this car wash. And i said you know you left this and he said and the worst part of it was it was an 18 year old kid he had more or less inherited or been he didn't inherit it he was given the business by a family member to run and it was his plaything. and whenever he felt like going out buying a new car or whatever he would go in the payment system and he would grab out a pile of cash and do whatever he wanted to with it um it was very 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 shocking to me because this was probably the first six months of me buying a car wash um, I bought the, these two car washes and then it, the floodgates opened and people were calling me about theirs asking if I wanted to, to purchase them. And they just wanted, they wanted to show me what they were doing at their operation. And how much does a, a
1: you know, a smallish startup car wash cost to buy? A uh, hundred thousand, hundred
0: and fifty thousand.
1: Yeah. and And have you found going in there, there's quite weak systems processes and there's ways to increase efficiencies?
0: Here in the United States, we have a lot of car washes that will not take credit cards or debit cards because the owner wants 100% of the cash to come or 100% of the um, sales to come through cash because they want to be able to take their cut and not report it on their taxes. So they are more than happy to deal with the money coming in and going out if they can grab their share. Um, They don't see the upside on automating their payment systems. And that's that's been a very odd thing. It's very similar in laundromats too. Um, there's a few other businesses that I've seen, but it's just not nearly as big as um, laundromats and car washes for cash sales and people who will not institute um, uh, cards and uh, card payment systems. So, what's the rough time frame if you bought a laundromat
1: or a car wash that you'd get your you know return on your money? When would you be getting your money
0: back? And now you're all in the black. If you're not buying a a leased premises, or if you're buying a leased premises, because if you're buying a location that includes the real estate, then the repayment period is going to be a decent bit larger because then you're paying the, the structure off, you're paying the land off. Uh, but I talked recently to the president of the Coin Laundry Association, and he said, as it stands today, the average laundromat in the United States is trading for uh, 25% cash on cash return and he has the data from thousands of sales nationwide, so it should repay your initial investment off if it's pure cash within four years. If you go in with a loan, um, some sort of levered uh, purchase, then it can be less than a four-year period. And do you prefer buying the real estate with the business? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a real estate investor at heart. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people, and they will very purposely go in, purchase a business, they'll separate the real estate and they'll separate the, um, the business and then they'll sell off the real estate portion. Um, just because they don't want to deal with it. Um, I was listening to, uh, um, an economist or a business guy very recently. And he said that that's what one, of, I think it was M, maybe it was MGM or it was some other large casino chain in Las Vegas. That's exactly what they did. They sold all of the real estate, off to somebody else, and they kept the actual businesses because they didn't want to be a landlord anymore. And I have talked to larger, um, Cody Sanchez is a big name in the social media sphere who owns laundromats and car washes along with me, and she just does not want to deal with the underlying real estate. For me, you know, I've got upwards of maybe a million dollars in real estate on these car washes and the laundromat, well over a million dollars if I include the laundromat. Um, but the car washes themselves are almost at a million dollars for just the real estate. And I look at it and I think to myself, here's another way for me to make money off this business. Um, I'm all about diversified income streams, especially if I can get diversified income from the one location, my car washes, we have car washes plus vending my laundromats. Um, we've got laundromats plus apartments, um, all on the same. Uh, parcel all on the same property. Do you think that we're moving towards a cashless society and how do you feel about that? I, I think that most people are, I think most people are moving towards convenience, but I know a lot of people that are pushing back very hard on a pure cashless society from a business owner's perspective. I, I like the idea of cashless payments because they're very easy to deal with logistically. But I also like, I really enjoy, you know, what I can hold my hand. I really like having access to physical currency. And I see that, I think that I see and I feel like a lot of people are going to push back so hard on cashless, the cashless world, that you're going to see a world of pure pure cashless, and you're going to see other people that have pushed back so pushed back so hard that you're gonna see the return of hard currency. I know an incredible amount of people, very wealthy, very well-educated, that they're transacting in hard currencies like gold and silver. Um, I don't do that because I wanna keep my gold and silver. I'm a big fan of that too, but their, their level of pushback is so intense. I look at it, I, I have, I kid you not, I have been in real estate meetings where they have done transactions on real estate with um, hard currency, gold, silver, those kinds of things. Um, A little bit of cash sometimes, but definitely not a lot. Those, Those worlds do exist out there, and I cannot see in a million years they'll go cashless. So if we move to cashless, does
1: that then open the door for central digital currencies? And also, if we move towards cashless, what about the millions of people at the lower end of the income who they need to budget with cash or they don't have a bank account or they don't
0: have access to the Internet? We take that for granted. A lot of people don't have that. I, it, it is, it is. I think, one of the most complicated conversations that you can have. Um, there's multiple states in the United States that says they will never allow the state to go pure cashless. Uh, I think, I think Ohio has currently a pending bill that they will always accept cash. Or a form of currency, the state of, of of physical currency, the state of Utah has now said that um, they they want to be able to transact in Bitcoin, several of the major alt- alternative cryptos, gold and silver for repayment of debts that are that are publicly generated. So property taxes, um, other government fees that might be associated with that, they want to be able to transact in non centralized currencies at least controlled by the federal government which i think is a very interesting thing um there's been a lot of pushback on the uh, we we term them the underbanked in the united states people that just don't want to participate in the the world of large banks or even small banks and i've seen um oddly enough and i'm not a huge fan of new york city um but new york city has gone and for laundromats specifically They have mandated that all laundromats are required to take cash payments. They will not allow any new laundromats to go pure cashless. They're also, from what I understand, working towards locations like grocery stores, uh, maybe small health clinics. They're mandating those, um, those kinds of organizations to always have a way to pay in cash so that the underbanked and people with bank accounts can access their, their services. I guess maybe you'd term them vital services. Hmm. So Dave Ramsey says that all debt
1: is dumb. Is that a dumb thing to say, Brandon?
0: No, I don't think it's I I respect the heck out of Dave Ramsey. I respect, I respect that statement that he made because it applies to a lot of people that are slaves to credit card debt. And hopefully my parents never watched this because my parents were one of them. Anytime that there was a bump in the road, they would pay something with a credit card. My dad was a truck driver. He had um, situations back in 1997, 1998, where he was putting different things with his trucking company on credit cards. And it was a terrible choice. It was terrible debt for him to take on at 22.99% interest here, which I can't believe my parents ever paid a uh, debt at t- over twenty-two percent interest, but they did, and it was a terrible thing for them to take on that level of debt. My dad thought it was a business debt, so it was it was it was a good idea. But they had access to credit and they spent it very foolishly. I feel like Dave Ramsey's uh, um, comments and content are mostly driven for the lowest common denominator. Your average person, your average person who is more than content to go out and buy an expensive card expensive car pay zero down on the car. Um they're fine with going to the store and buying whatever the trendy clothes are. They're wanting to uh, access a level of lifestyle that they don't they can't support with their finances. So I think that when your average person looks at debt of oh, what can what kind of clothes can it put me in? What kind of car it puts me in? that's that's true. Uh, I don't like the consumerist mindset. I don't like, buying things that don't have much of a value to them. But then I also look at the other side where if you treated all forms of debt in a way that they should always be avoided, no one would ever own real estate. No one would ever own a business. No one would ever, um, it would be almost impossible to transact in a business without a loan. And there's a case where it's my prime example. There's a very, very multi- there's a well-known multi-billion-dollar firm in the United States where the owner is a huge fan of Dave Ramsey. He might even be a personal friend. I'm not going to say who the company is, but uh, they absolutely follow the Dave Ramsey mindset. the The corp, the company, they run a manufacturing firm here, here in the United States. They do not use any debt whatsoever. They make wonderful products that could that have the potential to sell tens of billions of dollars but they are selling between half half a billion and maybe 1 billion dollars in sales and it's because they will not use any level of debt to buy machines to make more money they're they're manufacturing they won't pay for tooling unless they've got two or three times the amount of money that they need in their bank so what happens is this specific business is stuck in a cycle of selling the products they make to competing manufacturing firms with a license. And I'm not opposed to licenses, but they, they make wonderful products and they are stuck licensing their ideas to competitors because they can't scale their growth because they refuse to use any level of debt. I look at them and I say to myself, I would love to buy these products if I could get them. They're, they're in such demand that they sell licenses off to competitors that oftentimes make inferior products but they won't use debt. And I feel like a a competent business owner would look at 10 billion, $20 billion worth of sales they could do every year. And if it would just take a couple billion dollars worth of debt that they could repay over the lifespan of the tooling, it it would, it seems like a dumb decision to me. And I, I think that that's the dangerous side of the coin when you follow Dave Ramsey's advice without putting any level of thought into it i think it's very 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 concerning almost dangerous do you see a difference between good debt and bad debt yeah good debts when it good or bad debt is when you go out and you use it to buy stuff that you don't need you and need but when you use debt to go out and acquire things that can make you more money um i think it's a good thing for me you know the thing that i've said more than once is all debt does is it takes you to the place you're already headed faster. And if you are on a trajectory towards bankruptcy, debt is just going to get you there quicker. But if you are an upward bound and you're already doing what makes you money and you utilize debt, it is just going to increase your trajectory and your growth. And it's just going to advance you further. What's your best negotiation tip for buying a business? Ideally, at a discount. Uh, generally speaking, I want to know what the owner, current owner's biggest problems are. If I can quickly identify what their problem is, I can leverage that problem into a solution. And that solution will often involve me getting a discount. And it doesn't always have to come on the surface of, I want this thing for 50% of what it's worth. It doesn't always have to come at the disc that at the discount of, I need this thing immediately for uh, 70% of what it's worth. Um, oftentimes, you can arrange negotiation tactics with them if you know where their their their, uh, their problem point is. I'll take it for instance. Um, we just had one of the guys that I help. He's in um, the Midwest here too. He just acquired two laundromats with the real estate um, with zero dollars out of pocket. And um, we talked to people and they want everything for nothing. And this is truly a he got something for nothing case. And he identified very quickly in the owner's business process that one of their top employees was stealing money. He did not tell the seller it, but he very quickly identified in his due diligence that a employee in the company is stealing between 600, sorry, sixty and $100,000 per year. So when it came down to it, he identified this the owner's huge problem in this the operation of these laundromats, employee theft. And he proposed an offer to them where I'm going to pay you over what this business is worth under two stipulations. Stipulation one, you finance this business for or this business with the real estate for 20 years. Stipulation number two is I want it at um, 0% interest with 0% down. The seller looked at this, this laundromat business with the real estate, he's on the surface, he's getting a, a significant discount on it or he's getting a, significantly over what he's asking for it. And he took the deal. My guy looks at it and he realizes that immediately that employee getting fired. And it immediately improves the books from being in the red to in the black. He had the guy dead to rights. It's a, it's a um, young man and his girlfriend are going in every night and stealing from the laundromat. And he picked it up on the cameras. And that's a really crazy example. But I find that many businesses have these, these critical failings in them. Once again, when you work in the business and not on the business, you don't take that step back and stop treating it like a job and more like a business and an investment. Those kinds of problems, you end up getting blind to them. And somebody can be stealing you, in this case, stealing from you every single day and you miss it. So when you can identify those pain points, you can get what you want. And it's not that you can't get a a good price on the surface because if someone has to sell something today, and you structure the deal. I'll buy this business today for X amount of dollars. You can very much go out and get an immediate discount on it because you've put yourself in the driver's seat. You've put yourself in a position where you can take it over immediately. And what are the most common pains or
1: problems that business owners are experiencing that you can use as negotiation
0: leverage? Um, usually I'll sit down with them and we'll critically go over the books. We will look at the financial position. And when you understand how the business works you can very often start showing them that they're not making near as much money as they think they are or how much money they told you. I've run into, looked at a car wash uh, this week. The owner says, I'm making $200,000 a year on this car wash. And we looked at him and he's basing the remainder of 2023 sales on the performance from January to um, end of May, I think it was. And we assessed how was the weather for your location how was your utilization of it how much were you paying employees and you find out that the owner of the location was doing more work than they should have and the weather in their specific part of the united states was almost anomalous very very good weather so based on standard standard math it will not make as much money as they believe it is especially when the owner's working 40 hours a week on it Um, which as an owner of a car wash you should not be working 40 hours a week so then when you go and you look at it, how much is it going to cost to hire a manager? How What's it going to look like revenue-wise for the next six months of the year? What's it going to look revenue-wise one, three, five years down the road? The business does not make near as much money as they, as they thought it would or they expect it to. So when you can go in and show that owner that what they're telling you is not true, then they've got a moment where they've got to realize that um, if any other competent investor is going to buy the location, they're going to run into the same due diligence problems. The difference is three months down the road when the weather's um, statistically much worse, those um, problems during due diligence are actually going to compound. So then in that specific case, you can go in and get a better discount um, immediately rather than letting them go down the line. But then sometimes there's there, it, it can be advantageous to wait a little bit And make sure that you are, um, you've got a competent handle on that business. And once again, um, the big thing is identifying those pain points in the business. What to you makes a business investable?
1: Like maybe the top three things.
0: Um, I want to see that there's a good track record of some level of either growth or stable sales. Uh, With car washes, 2020 was a very bad year due to coronavirus. 2021 was a good year because um of a lot of people going out buying new vehicles so we had a terrible year 2022 uh, sorry 2020 great year 2021 2022 was an average year 2023 looks to be a little bit above average but i want to see what does their sale what do their sales look like in the three years prior to coronavirus if i can access them so i want to see is there stable is there stable um sales growth if there's not and they're they're on a decline then i need to look at immediately How can I fix that? Um, Number two, which kind of has to do with number one, I wanna look at how they're marketing. That's one of those automation points. A lot of people do not automate things. You should have an automated system of advertising. I'm very big on social media marketing. I do the YouTube thing, but I'm very big on like community-based advertising with Facebook and Instagram. I look, do they have a social media presence? Do they spend any money on digital advertising? Do they do anything to bring in their customers? If there's a very easy play to advertise the business, then I'm going to be much more interested in it. Um, We've got on our car wash, there's certain advertising campaigns that we have that have a 100X on um, ad spend. For every dollar that I spend on my car wash in certain uh, ad segments, I get 100 times return on that. Um, One of those things is we give out free car washes. We also do it with our laundromat. Um, We give out free products every so often and then we create, social media campaigns to give away free products. And my return on the ad spend is just unbelievable. So I look at how easy is it going to be to advertise that business? Are there any hurdles with advertising it? There's certain businesses in the United States that have very strong restrictions on advertising. Let For instance, um, marketing securities, marketing stocks, marketing investments. That's one of those things where if you're in that world, there's a lot of stipulations on what you can and cannot say, either publicly or privately. Um, if you are in the pharmaceutical sphere, you can. There's certain things you can do for advertising, and certain things that will end up in major fines. Um, there's even some things you can and can't do in real estate. Now, uh, real estate, you can do ninety five percent of whatever you want to with marketing, but there are st- some different market segments that you've got to be very careful on with advertising. And then the third thing. That I want to look at is: um, is there a clear path to grow it, grow the business while you walk away from it and make it, um, make it a much less active involvement? Can I outsource this to somebody? Is there good talent that I can bring in when necessary? If there's something I can't automate through software, can I bring in talent for not a lot of money? And there's a, just a lot of businesses out there where you can build. Um, your talent pool and outsource the management for pennies. My self storage facility. I hardly do any content on it because there's no reason to. It, I get I get a check. Or I get multiple checks every single month. My manager upstairs and my 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 uh, facility I'm in. She gives me a binder of checks because um, I like I like holding the checks in my hand. And she says, "Here's here's the checks this month for your self storage facility. Go cash them," and. I don't do any work on my storage facility. She spends one or two hours per month managing, managing the storage facility. So in my self-storage facility, we looked at how it was working prior and we looked and realized there was a lot of ways to automate everything and take a step back. So prior to that day, I had, you know, prior to the day of me getting self-storage, didn't know anything about it. But when we analyzed it, we determined very quickly that it's a very easy business to step away from. So that's what we did. We implemented a manager and, you know, just between you and me and the internet, I pay my manager $20 an hour to manage the storage lockers. She spends two hours a month. So I get away with my facility for $40 worth of management. (laughs) So is there a particularly
1: undervalued or underrated business or asset class right now that you think's, uh, you know, a good thing?
0: Um... I'm always a little afraid to say anything on social media. Cause it seems like every time I say, Oh man, there's a lot of opportunity in vending machines. Everybody goes after them. I'm seeing with um, like right now I, I'm seeing some softness in self storage. I had, I've had two deals in the past week get emailed to me. And a year ago, you would have never seen a self storage facility selling for 15% cash or um, return, gross return on investment. So this one facility I looked at this morning, uh, they were asking $1.25 million for it. Um, The average yearly income is in the $250,000 range. Um, A year and a half ago, I would have never seen a deal come across my desk that would have been better than an eight to 9% gross rate of return. Um, that excludes, that's not net operating income, but that's just gross numbers because it's easy to calculate before you figure in uh, property taxes, which are usually the number one expense you have with self-storage facility. So I'm seeing some softness in self-storage. Um, I feel like real estate will always be something that you can do. You do need to be competent in the market you, you're in. Every market is local. Um, there's never one size fits all for real estate. Um and it's just anything I feel like that um, might be a playground for the wealthy. I want to look at or look at um, getting into in the realm of potentially having a recession. I know that's a really complicated statement there. but my example here is I recently took out an ad saying I want to buy, estates. And what I mean is I want to write one check for everything you own, meaning your house, your real estate, your vehicles, your coins, your um, antiques. I want to write you one check. And um, I was shocked at the response that I got. And it's from people that I would not have expected wanting to just exit everything they have. And these are from older people just wanting to leave where they're located and move somewhere else. And we're talking about buying everything somebody owns for about 70 cents on the dollar. So I can go get my financial backing however I need to. And these are usually multi-million dollar estates. So we could we could do a syndication on them. And I'm objectively valuing everything in somebody's life and then writing them a cash off, cash offer for 70% of what it's worth. So real estate vehicles, antiques, coins, whatever. Um, I'm seeing some major softness in that market too. It's not something that I talk about very often in public, but I figured, hey, you're a cool guy. I'll say that. Um, So um, that's something I'm seeing softness in because what's happened is in the past, because I got my real estate license before the last mortgage crisis, the one that we had in 2007, 2008, when it started getting rolling. And the thing that I noticed... Back then, that I wish that I had wished that I was in a position to do then, that I am now is um, people start getting rid of during a potential recession. They start getting rid of um, real estate, they start getting rid of cars, they start getting rid of coins, they get rid of everything that has a value to it because they're worried that it's going to underperform. And in the end, it, it if you have something and you've bought it at a proper price, it doesn't underperform perform. It gets, it's, might run stable for a while, but it won't underperform as long as you get a discount on it. Yeah. in To add to that, Brandon, in the
1: banking crisis, so many bankers were selling their Rolexes and their watches. And I was buying Rolex Daytonas back then for 5,000. It's hard to buy them now for 25,000. So yeah. yeah. We always do a quick fire round to end the show. Are you, okay. are you game for playing? Sure. Great. So would you rather take now 1 million in cash or 1 million of engaged fan followers on your social media of choice and why?
0: Uh, I would take the engaged followers because I can make more than $1 per person. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could make way more than $1 per person. Can money buy happiness? No, but it can buy security and sta- stability. And oftentimes security and stability is very much like happiness. Do
1: you prefer Grant Cardone or Jordan Belfort and why?
0: Uh, oh, gosh, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> Cardone, because he has a jet. He still has the jet, right? <laughs> What's the biggest mistake you believe you've ever made? Oh, I'm um, not learning to do uh, proper accounting math when, at a young age. I grew up as a um, uh, algebra failure, could not do math very well, and um, I ran a business when I was 15 years old that was capable of making probably millions of dollars. And if it, I under if I had understood how to do proper accounting, I would have had a much better shot of making a lot of money at 15, 16 years old when my family was ab, ab, in abject poverty. But because I didn't understand math, I get it done what's your biggest regret um i don't know it it would probably be not i I guess it's kind of a mixture of not believing in myself and not asking for things i've for years and years and years i felt incapable of giving other people a lot of value and this specifically in the real estate world but i feel like it's probably more than that um i was on the front seat like i said earlier in the crisis, the mortgage crisis of 2006, you know, 2007, 2008, and so on. And I, as a real estate agent, um, was seeing apartment complexes and houses sell for nothing. Um, Apartment complexes that are now worth half a million dollars sell for 25 grand back during the crisis. And I could see this tidal wave that was destroying property prices, but the the real value, the true value of those apartment complexes, well, wasn't really shaken. And I just felt like I'm—I've been in real estate for two or three years. I—I'm you know I'm not good at math. I'm not good at any of these things. No one will give me money. No one will listen to me. That this is a temporary thing, and we should go out and buy some apartment complexes. It took me from oh two thousand seven to 2013 to say, you know what? I'm not an idiot. I, I can go out and write a business plan. I can go out and solicit investments. And it was like a light bulb just turning on. And I asked for pe- people for money and they said, well, you know, the first group of people that I asked investment money from, they said, how much do you need? I thought I never in a million years would have thought this would have, that, that would be the response I got. How much money do you need? Not you're stupid. This will never work are you asking me this? It was how much do you need and how quick do you need it? And now I'm at a point where I have touched, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars from um, investors and lenders and non-bank partners. And I look at, and I think if, if I would have had that same mindset back in 2006, 2007, I would have an asset pool in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And maybe you'd be asking somebody else, who do you prefer? You know, Brandon from investment joy or Cardone. <laughs> it's possible. But I didn't have the ability to go out and ask those questions. What's your most brutal life lesson? Oh, how brutal do you want? And can we your monetize the stream? Your most brutal lesson. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I, I guess it's to an extent, you know, life's kind of short. Um, you really need to be on your game. Um, I've got a lot of people in my family that have died young. I've seen a lot of my tenants die young. Um, I have walked into apartment complexes with dead bodies in them. People have that have died. And it's incredible to see um, all of somebody's life end. And you get the it's it, see somebody's life end and you're at a point. Well, did they get done all of what they wish they could get done? And the family's there. They're wishing they could have done more. I'm pretty sure the person died with having a lot of regrets. So the, the brutality part there is, you know, even for me, am I on my A game? Am I doing all that I can do? Am I going to live a life of regrets? Will I end up 20 years down the road saying, should I have taken more risks? Should I have spent more time with my family? Should I, what are the regrets that I have? And even though we, we, we talk about the, the regrets that I've had, um, I feel like there are going to be some regrets, but they're not going to be brutal because my life's not over. And the problem is there are people out there that don't have a lot longer to live, and they're n- it's not even on their radar at this point. They, they, it's not even a concern in their mind, and it will be a concern soon. It will be an extreme concern for their families. What one thing about life
1: are you, A, most excited about, and B, most scared of?
0: Um, I, I would say it comes back to a lot of of my family. I've got five kids. I love my kids absolutely to death. They're all um, unique. Um, I'm very, very blessed to have my kids. and I'm thankful for it, but I'm also terrified because no matter what I do, I cannot um I can give them mentorship. I can give them leadership. I can do everything within my power to help them. but it will be their choice on what they want to do with themselves. My 13 year old, she loves animals. She's a very kind girl. My 11 year old daughter, she's very aggressive with people. She's very, you can't tell her anything. And I look at that and my wife, my wife's got a great perspective on that. She says, your 11 year old is is passionate and she can use that ability in her life. So no one will be able to talk her into doing the wrong things. Great, honey, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But then again, There's a flip side to that. My, my 11 year old could be so stubborn. She doesn't learn from my life lessons. She won't learn from my wife's life lessons and the people that are around her. And she's going to learn the hard way. My 13 year old, who's as kind as can be, she could be taken advantage of easily by people that are, um, wanting to misuse her kindness. And, um, that's the most scary thing because I can try and transfer everything to my kids. It's in my, it's in my goals. We're doing our best to instill our values in my children. But once again, it's going to be their decision and not mine.
1: So this show is called Disruptors. What does the word disruptive mean to you, Brandon?
0: Um, for me, it's it's something that's transformative and it disrupts the case of the normal. We talk about uh, the pandemic. It disrupted the life of a lot of people. We talk about um, the invention of the computer. It uh, absolutely devastated the lives of a lot of accountants. Um, we look at artificial intelligence. It's on, um, you know, it's on everybody's lips at this point. It's going to disrupt uh, a lot of businesses and a lot of people that thought they were secure. And then, um, in those disruptions, to the victors go the spoils, and the people that are at those the forefront of those levels of disruption um, end up typically making quite a bit of money. So, if I want to position myself, or I want to sit down and really think about it, I want to be somebody that is disrupting the norm in a business, I don't want to be the person that's getting disrupted. I see a lot of people that get disrupted and it just absolutely crushes them. And where can we follow you? Where do you want us um, to go? You can get, go check out investmentjoy.com or you can uh, follow me on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, or you might see me on chat, Snapchat soon. Um, we shot a pilot show for that this week. And um just pretty much any of the social media platforms everything's ad investment joy.
1: Brandon, I've had a great time. Hope you enjoyed it too and thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cheers.